God, I just want to give you thanks for this day. Lord, we thank you for every day and the gift that it is. God, we thank you for people like Phil and Sarah. Lord, for person after person, every individual that's here, sitting here, that makes a real difference in this church and in your kingdom. God, we just thank you that you are at work. And God, I just pray for these next few moments, this next half an hour. God, I pray that we would do all we can just to kind of almost get out of the way of what it is you want to do here this morning. And Lord, we just want to be open to more of you. And we say, Jesus, we invite you here now. Come and have your way. Lord, make this word come alive in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Okay, so how on earth did I end up here? I mean, sometimes you can, you can find yourself at that stage of life, can't you? Or there's that situation or that moment in your life where you stand back from it all and you kind of have that moment of reflection and you think, how on earth did I end up here? I mean, I've got to tell you, I've got to be honest, there was a, a long period of my life when I never even thought I'd ever want to be a Christian, let alone go to church, let alone go to church every Sunday, let alone become a pastor or even work for the church. If it encourages you to know, I never had any ambition whatsoever to work for the church. In fact, when I was a young boy, I wanted to be either one of two things, okay? And I'm sure you've been all asked this question, haven't you? Sometimes, what did you want to be when you were little? Because it's quite funny to find out, isn't it? So, actually, why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask, you know, what did you want to be when you were little? Come on, don't hold back. Okay, well, I hope that you've managed to um, get closer to the person next to you now. Well, I wanted to be one of two things. I wanted to either be, this is like a seven-year-old dream, people, maybe a little bit older. I either wanted to be a bank manager, woohoo, because, you know, they've got money to burn and they just sit around in their office, you know, smoking cigars and counting money. That's what I thought as a young kid, so that, that seemed pretty cool to me. Um, or if that didn't quite work out, then what I really wanted to be was to be a Green Beret, a Royal Marine Commando. Come on. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, what, what? You're an ex-Marine already. But no, no, no. I think, you know, I, I know I might give off that impression. Um, but I think I might just do a few more park runs on a Saturday, maybe work on my, my Olympic one-pack. And um, I think it could still be an option. I'm still hanging on to that dream somewhere out there. But um, I guess what I really want us to do today is to, for all of us to really be open and for us to really think about and remind ourselves of the truth in the Bible that basically God tells each one of us that he has plans and he has purposes for every one of us in this room. For everyone in this room. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter whether you feel you're too young or you're too old, what circumstance you're in, what experiences you're going through. You might be far away from God right now. You might be on a journey of discovery. You could have been a Christian for years. Today might even be your first day at church. But God has plans and purposes for each one of us. That's the truth. Whether we're aware of that, whether that's new news, that is the truth. And to help us kind of unpack this a little bit more, we're going to study, we're going to look at Ephesians uh, chapter 2, Paul's letter to us in Ephesians, and we're going to focus in on verse 10. It will come up on the screen. It says this, 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You know, this one verse, this one sentence, it's only about 20 words, but this is loaded with so much because Paul here is trying to reveal something of God's heart to each one of us. And firstly, it's this, that we are God's workmanship. That we are God's workmanship. In some translations, it actually says that we are God's handiwork. Now, being described as kind of God's handiwork is is helpful in a sense because it helps us understand that, look, you know, God has created us. He has made each one of us. No one is, you know, sitting here by accident, you know, in this room today. None of us are born by accident. So in one sense, it's, it's really helpful to, to know that, yeah, we're God's handiwork. But for some reason, when I think of the word handiwork, there's, I can't get it out of my mind that it feels like we've somehow been kind of cobbled together on a Sunday afternoon when God's got nothing better to do and he's kind of finding a few bits and pieces in the shed and he's kind of like, yeah, there's my handiwork. doesn't look too bad. I'm going to go off and do something else now. But, you know, being told that we're his workmanship, at least that sounds a little bit more skilled. But let me show you, my handiwork, this is how good my handiwork is, okay? My handiwork is the type of thing that is really only revered and appreciated by someone like my mum, okay? So let me introduce you to Bertie. Bertie here is my clay model fish. I know what you're thinking, you think, wow, I wish I could make something like that, okay? Now, I made this in year seven, I was like 11 or 12 years old, in my pottery class at school. I've, I don't know idea why we did pottery, but there you go. We did pottery. I made this fish. This was the best thing that I could do. Now, I'm sure that when I was that young, I put my heart and my soul into making this. But really, all that this is good for is just sitting in my mum's house, collecting dust. I mean, she's really proud of it. To be honest, I'm su- surprised it even lasts this long. I'm going to put you down, Bertie. I'll put you down there. So being described as God's handiwork, for me, doesn't necessarily inspire me with, if I'm being honest, a lot of kind of faith. But the commentators on Ephesians really try and tell us that actually the word, actually the definition of what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that actually we are all God's work of art. That actually we're his masterpiece. We're all his work of art. We're, we're like masterpieces. We're not just handiwork. We're not just something that he's cobbled together in a spare moment. It's not like he's really practiced hard and he, we're his workmanship. The Bible is telling us that actually each one of us are like works of art. We're his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. And for me, being told that I'm God's masterpiece, that really does change things because that sounds far more deliberate. That sounds far more thought through. That sounds far more intentional. You know, when I think of works of art that are masterpieces, I think of things like, I don't know, like the Mona Lisa, painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the early 1500s. You know, this was the most original selfie of its time, and the jury is still out as to how long it really took, but it's believed to have taken anywhere between 3 to 14 years to complete. But it is recorded as the best known, the most visited, the most written about, the most sung about work of art in the world. Or perhaps something a bit more skilled than Bertie, someone who can actually really make things out of clay. How about this Ming vase? This particular vase was made in around 1740, 
And the unique thing about Ming vases was that up until they were made, porcelain had never been seen by the world. It was something that the Chinese invented and created. But it was just amazing, just the craftsmanship that went into making vases like this, just the detail, you know, the artwork, the labor, the color. You know, back then and even now, they are highly sought after. They are prized and valued items. This particular vase was actually put up for auction by a brother and a sister who found it in an attic. Their parents died. They lived somewhere in North London. And they found it in an attic, and they were putting a whole bunch of stuff out for auction. And you can kind of guess where this is going. They had no idea what this was worth. And basically, in the space of half an hour, it was a frenzied bidding session with three people on the phone in Beijing, six blokes in the room. And in half an hour, it went and sold for over 53 million pounds. They had absolutely no idea it was worth that much. I know what you're all going to do this afternoon. (laughs) This is a word for all the men and the husbands in the room. I'm just going to go and clear the attic, love. Is that all right? You can thank me later. Um, But I think it's important for us to know because Paul tells us that we are God's work of art. You know, we are his masterpiece. God puts so much into us, so much thought, so much attention, so much detail. We're not compared to some kind of handiwork that's something that I can knock up in a, you know, when I'm 11 years old. We are a masterpiece. We are his work of art. And I think it is important to know because, to be honest, I don't walk around, walking around the streets or getting ready in the morning and look in the mirror and just say, there it is. That is God's masterpiece right there. (laughs) I mean, some of you might be a bit more, I don't know, what's the word, more uh, bolder than I am, but you know, I don't think we, we live with that sense of, you know, we are God's masterpiece. You know, we can look at ourselves and we can look at our lives and it's important to know how God sees us. And it's also important to know that actually he started this right at the very beginning. You know, before we were even born. You know, we are no afterthought. We're really not. You know, there's verse after verse in the Bible. You know, by, uh, Psalm 100. 39, which is a, a well-known, well-known verse, and it says this from verse 13. It says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. Jeremiah 31 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. It's like, you know, God's trying to say, look, I've drawn you out, I've sketched you, I've mapped you out, you're part of the plan, I can show you exactly where you fit. And in Ephesians, earlier on in chapter 2, in chapter 1, says this, he says, he chose us, God chose each one of us before the creation of the world. You know, that's how far back God is going. We're more than just his handiwork, And actually, it's great to know that we're his masterpiece, but he's planned us before the very creation of the world. You know, the University College of London did a study on pregnancies between 2010 and 2012 in the UK. And one of the results, one of the stats that came through was that 45% of all pregnancies during that time in the UK were unplanned. Now, the reality of that stat can make some of us kind of feel like, man, I'm just not really thought of. I'm not really kind of planned. There isn't necessarily much meaning to my life. 
For some of us, it can even make us feel like, I'm a little bit unwanted. You know, why am I here? You know, we may have been a surprise to our parents, but we are no surprise to God. You know, God made us with purpose for a purpose. We are all God's masterpiece. And we are all created in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say we are created in Christ Jesus. So while the Bible does tell us that we are planned, that we're designed, that each one of us, before the creation of the world, we were in God's mind, none of us are born the finished article. None of us are born the finished article. We are all masterpieces in the making. And Paul tells us that it's in Christ Jesus that we are created. It's as if God has drawn us up and mapped us out and drawn the blueprint for your life and then hands it to Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I can take that. I can make that come to life. I can make this happen. And it's when we're in Christ Jesus that the work continues. It's in Christ where the detail is added and the colour of our lives come out. You know, being in Christ is that moment where we're, we, we stop trying to kind of resist him, we stop trying to, you know, ignore him or live lives in our, in our own way. It's the moment when we really realise what he did for us on the cross and we personally put our hands back into his and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. As best as I know how, I want to put you first in my life. And whether you make that commitment as a young child, as a teenager, as an adult, but when we have that moment, when we make that personal decision, that is the moment that we become alive in Christ. And Paul, right at the start of Ephesians 2, describes this journey so brilliantly. And we're going to read it together. I'll read it from the message version, which is, it just puts it so excellently in layman's terms, which sometimes helps me, definitely. But it it's just maps out the journey so perfectly. And Paul says this, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all, doing, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, and all of us were in the same boat. You know, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. But instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. And he did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us exactly where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea, it's all his work, and all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish, we don't play a major role, and if we did, we'd probably go around bragging about it like we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Paul describes our lives here as as dead. You know, he says he took our sin-dead lives, which sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? I mean, he doesn't really give much room here for kind of misunderstanding. There's no kind of grey area here. According to Paul, life without Christ is dead. And I think Paul really challenges us here. He provokes us to ask ourselves the question, look, I know that I'm alive but am I really living? 
You know, am I really living the way that God has designed it? Am I really pursuing the life that I was created for? But because of his amazing grace and because of his loving kindness, he can take our sin-dead lives and make us alive in Christ. It's like being in Christ. It's as if we're being brought back to life. We have the chance to go again, the chance to be alive, to actually live. I mean, can you imagine if you actually physically died and then you were brought back to life? I mean, what a second chance you would have. What a second chance you would have. I wonder how different you might live your life. You know, you would hope that you would have some kind of new perspective on life, maybe a bigger appreciation of the opportunities that you would have in front of you, almost an excitement to do things differently, to really make this life count. Do you know, the feeling of having a second chance is one of the most liberating and freeing feelings that we can experience. But the sad thing is that sometimes, even when we get that second chance, you know, we don't always make the most of it. And that can be a real shame. But what is really sad to watch is that people who sometimes have been given a second chance, not only do they not make the most of it, but they can go quickly and rapidly going back to exactly the way they were living before. And as I was thinking about this, for whatever reason, the story of George Best came into my head. George Best was one of the country's greatest footballers. You know, he began his club career with Manchester United with a scout who spotted his talent at the age of just 15, sending a telegram to the manager, Matt Busby, which read, I think I have found you a genius. And after making his debut for United at the age of just 17, he scored 179 goals with 470 appearances and was the club's top goal scorer in the league for five consecutive seasons. But George Best was also one of the first celebrity footballers. And his extravagant lifestyle led to various problems, and most notably, alcoholism, which he suffered from from the rest of his life. In 2000, he was diagnosed with severe liver damage, and in August 2002, quite controversially, he was given a liver transplant, which was successful. It went well. The very organ that was shutting down, that was going to you know, basically kill him, that would lead to his own death, was replaced. He had a second chance. He had a new lease of life. Maybe this was the moment he could live in a different way. But sadly, in 2003, just a year after the operation, he was seen openly binge drinking in public. And over the next two years, he basically just returned back to his old way of life. And in 2005, just three years after his transplant, he died due to multiple organ failure. You know, when we are made alive in Christ, you know, we have a second chance. You know, not to return to a dead life with dead habits and dead attitudes. We are given the opportunity to start afresh, to really live and begin to discover what it is that God has for each one of us. Wayne Grudem, who is a, basically is a theological genius and has written a book bigger than the Bible to help us understand the Bible, basically says this. He defines being in Christ as this. It's a term referring to a variety of relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive the benefits of salvation. It's referring to a variety of relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive the benefits of salvation. You know, there are many benefits of salvation, of being saved. And the benefit of salvation here that Paul is trying to tell us about in Ephesians 2 is one of being given a second chance, of given a new life, a life with purpose, a life with meaning, a life with a plan. 
And Paul is laying this foundation here for us to try and help us understand and know the truth to what it really means to be his work of art, his masterpiece, what it really means to be in Christ. Not so that we can feel a bit better about ourselves, not that we can sleep easier at night or feel important, because he wants to take it one step further and he wants to say, no, 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 he's doing all of this because he's got a plan for you. Actually, he has got good works prepared for you in advance for all of us to do. So we are all God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, when I hear this, it sounds great, doesn't it? You think, that's really exciting. But when I hear this, my, I can't help my brain. My immediate question is, well, what are these good works? You know, what is the plan? God, you know, what is next? Where do I go from here? How do we find out what God has for us next? And there's probably lots that I can say here, but there are just two things that I want to suggest to us today. You know, we can find out what God has in store for us by firstly just putting ourselves in positions where we can draw closer to Jesus, where we can be in a position to actually make the most of the second chance that we have. To put ourselves in positions where we can actually grow an environment where actually we can get closer to Jesus and hear from him. Do you know, one of my biggest fears as a Christian is that, and I say this to, to Laura, I say, just one of my biggest fears, I don't want to get to an old man and basically look back on my life and then suddenly realize, ah, oh, do you know what? I just missed it. I missed it. For whatever reason, somehow, unintentionally, it wasn't planned, but somewhere along the line, I kind of settled for this almost mediocre Christianity where, sure, I was probably doing all the right things, but just that... It, the sense of just missing it, it does. It, it actually kind of scares me. I don't want to become this passive, lukewarm Christian just going through the motions. I don't want to live with that sense of regret when I get old and look back. And, you know, I, I, if any of you were standing up here, you'd probably say the exact same thing, but it can happen so easily. You know, a lot of the time we don't plan to do that, but I want to live in such a way that I want to, I want to try and go for and run after God with all that I have to try and understand, God, what it is, what do you have for me? My mum remarried in her late 50s, early 60s. I should probably know when, really. But, you know, in the last kind of five to ten years, my mum did remarry. And um, she married a great guy called Alan. And um, he'd been a Christian all his life. Been a Christian all his life. Really, really nice guy. You know, followed Jesus. He's, he's great. But he had never, ever been in, as part of a church or in an environment where they were just open to the Holy Spirit. And my mum thanks to God. She's a godly woman filled with the Spirit. And, you know, they were doing that thing where they've got married and it's, the question is, what church are we going to go to? So, you know, they visited various churches and for my mum, you know, it needed to be a church that was alive and open to the things of the Spirit. So they found, they found the church. It was the one. And shortly after going there, Alan had, a, I don't know if it was a Sunday morning or an evening, I can't remember where, but he had the moment where basically he encountered God in a real amazing and powerful way. Where actually he encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time. He'd been a Christian for years, but he'd just never been in the right position. And I remember talking to him about it one evening, and he said to me, he said, do you know what? And he was genuinely quite upset. And he was like, do you know what? He said, I feel like I've just missed it. He said, I feel like I've been missing something for years, and it's only now, at this late stage in life, where I feel like it's suddenly come to me. But he said, I'm, I'm going for it now. You know, he's all over it. But it's that sense of just not wanting to look back with regret. 
You know, we are all in Christ given a second chance, a second opportunity. You know, let us not kind of just waste that moment or waste that opportunity. There's loads of things that I can kind of recall that I did when, on my journey. When I was 22, like I was saying earlier, I walked through the doors of Kings and over a period of time I recommitted my life and I made changes in my life, not because necessarily things I were doing were like horrifically wrong, but I just wanted to, I didn't want to be there anymore because where I wanted to be was as close to Jesus as possible. I remember things like Friday night for me and my friends, we, you know, that was the beginning of the weekend of, you know, the pub tour in Beckenham, you know, that was... That was, you know, we worked all week, we planned all week, ready for that Friday night. And I'd started kind of going to church on and off, which my friends knew. But it was that moment where it just went that little step further. And I remember chatting to my friends over a pint. I was like, do you know what? I think I'm going to get involved in the youth work at that church I started going to. And they were like, oh, right, when is it? And I was Friday night. They were like, Friday night? (laughs) Honestly, it was like I just shot someone in their family. Honestly, it was like the rift was, you know, was imminent. But, um... But the point I was trying to make was just like, look, you know, I'm sure I could be in a pub and hear from God. You know, God is capable of anything. But you know what? I think I could probably hear him a lot clearer and a lot easier (laughs) not being in the pub and, you know, just getting involved in serving in the church. And, you know, being a youth leader, not that I'm punching here for any youth leaders, but being a youth leader, do you know what? It was was probably just as good for me as it was for the young people at that time as well. You know, it was just a step and a sign of saying, do you know what? I want to leave that old way of living behind. And I want to make decisions. I don't want to stay in the middle. I want to make decisions that actually put me in a good place. I joined a small group. I went after people that I could see in the church who are older than me, who were, you know, seemed to have it a bit more sorted than me, and to say something like, look, this might seem random, but can I just meet with you every now and again? Can I pray with you? Can I read the Bible with you? Could you, could you disciple me? Can I just bounce things off you? Because I want, to do, I want to walk down this road. I do. I want to walk down this road, but I feel like I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. But I want to keep putting myself in position where I can hear from God and grow in God. I want to make the most of the second chance that I've been given. And all of these things, they basically helped me understand and what it really meant to have a personal relationship with God. Not just to tick the box and go to church on a Sunday, but what it really meant to have a personal relationship with God. I was alive. I was alive for the first time. Look, don't get me wrong, we all want the writing in the sky, don't we? We all want to be told, you know, it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if God just suddenly downloaded the next five years of your life into your calendar, and you'd be like, oh, brilliant, that's exactly what God wants me to do. Well, that's just easy. You know, we all want things like that. But the reality is, is that quite often, God just puts the next step in front of us. And a lot of the time, it's been there for quite a while, and a lot of the time, you're probably already aware of it, but you just haven't actually taken that step. And what tends to happen is that you take that step, and do you know what? As you've taken that step, as you move, God will reveal the next step. And as you take that step, he'll, remove the ne- you know, he'll reveal the next step. And that's how it seems to work. That's how it seems to work in my life anyway. So sometimes I'm not necessarily concerned about, you know, oh God, where am I going to be in five years' time? That's not my question. My question is, God, what is the next step for me? Help me see what the next step is for me. Because the second best way that we can actually find out what God has for us is to ask. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? But when was the last time you sat down with God in a quiet place, uninterrupted, and just asked him and just said, God, what, where, what do you want me to do? What is the next step? I'm not worried about five years, God. I'm not worried about next year or even next month. God, what is the one step? What is the next step that I can take? Help me see that. Give me the courage to take that step. 
And if you're feeling bold, you know, that's the type of question that each one of us should ask every now and again. Now, just to say, you know, this isn't an excuse to kind of sit back and do nothing and kind of play the, I would love to do something, but basically I'm just spending time with God. And he hasn't spoken yet, so I'm just waiting. I'm just sitting here, I'm just waiting. You know, if God isn't saying anything at all, then do you know what? Do as much as you can. Do everything. Because a lot of the time, it's through the doing where God will speak. Not when you're just paralyzed in one spot, not making any moves at all. As you move, guess what? God will move with you. So if you're waiting and God hasn't said anything to you, then just do as much as possible. I don't mean burn yourself out in the sense of, you know, just totally make your life crazy. But put yourself in as many positions as you can to hear from God, to grow in God, to be in God's presence. You know, God has got so much for each one of us. He's got so much for each one of us. And the thing is, you know, sitting in this room today, you know, there are individuals, you know, there's families, there's friends, that are all God's pure work of art. You know, we really are his masterpiece. You know, individually and as a church, as a site of kings. You know, God is carving something out. He is creating something here in us and in this church. You know, like Phil said, you know, we weren't here six years ago. This was on no one's radar. You know, we had no idea. I had no idea six years ago I'd be up here speaking. You know, God has got this all worked out. He's got this all planned. You know, this is, this is no mistake. This is no fluke. You know, God had us in mind before the creation of the world. But what is our next step? What is our next step? You know, what is your next step? You know, if anything else, that's the question I'm asking myself. I ask that for myself personally, individually. And it's almost the question I'm asking for this site as well. God, what would you have us do next? What would you have us do next? Because God, I can't do anything, but through you, we are made alive. You are turning us into something beautiful, something vibrant, something colorful, something that makes a difference. Something that can change not only my life, but the lives of those around me. God is at work. You know, we are all God's masterpiece. And my heart, just as I'm closing now, my heart, that as a people, that we would just accelerate in good works, that we would be active in pursuing God and his Holy Spirit, and that we would be available, make ourselves available to step out in faith. You know, I would love us in weeks to come, months to come, years to come, for us to be standing here one day or in a room somewhere looking back and almost looking back over the next five years and go, how on earth did we get here? How on earth did we get here? It can only be God. It can only be God. Let's pray. Let's pray. I can just invite the band up. Why don't we just stand together? I just want to pray for us. God, I just want to pray for just every individual in this room right now. Jesus, I just ask you even now just to be, just to be speaking to our hearts. God, I pray that as, as I've been speaking, Holy Spirit, if you've just been prompting people in their hearts or their minds to what step to take next, God, I pray that you would impress that upon them right now. I pray that if you know, you want to ask that question, God, what, what have you got next for me? What's in store for me? Then right now, just ask him that question. Just say, God, what have you in store for me?
And Lord, as we just rest in your presence, as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, make us alive in Christ and give us the boldness to take the step that you put in front of each one of us. Amen.